If you will, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 5. Very thankful for Brother Trey and our entire worship team and for you and the, just the singing this morning and how encouraging it is for, for me. It was a wonderful time to come and to sing. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we are journeying through this amazing gospel uh, as Luke says at the beginning, that we may know the truth of Christ. And so we have learned much about him through his birth, through his uh, ministry, who, through his, who he is, his humanity, his deity. And now we are moving into his calling of the disciples. And we come to a very well-known passage this morning, uh, the, the catch of, the miraculous catch of fish. And I want you to see this. So let's, let's begin reading this morning. Luke Chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, he writes, he says, now, that, now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genericet, or the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them, and they were washing their nets. And he got into the boat, one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little ways. From the land, and he sat down, and he began teaching the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boats for them to come and to help. And they came and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon, Peter, saw, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee. And the partners uh, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. In our text this morning, we come to this well known passage. We're going to look this morning um, what it, on the Messiah's call of the disciples. First of all, I want to quote this. A.W. Tozer said this. He says, A whole new generation of Christians has come up believing that it is possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world, without following Jesus as their disciple, as his disciples. Now I want you to just pause and think for a moment of the context of what of Tozer said this. A.W. Tozer said this probably about 70 to 80 years ago. He, he said there's a whole generation who believe they can just accept Christ as Savior and be saved, but not follow him as their disciple. And so if this was said about 80 years ago, that means now we have not just one generation, but we have created multiple generations of people not living as disciples, but individuals who, are, who, who believe in themselves that they can confess Christ as Lord, but not truly follow him and, and not give their lives uh, to, to be his disciples. 
They, they can live a life that is not truly transformed, a life that is not truly zealous for the things of God. And so in our text, we, we come to this passage that many of us know well. But this right here is a call of the disciple. I've entitled today's message, The Messiah's Call of Discipleship. The miraculous catch of fish. I, I want you to see that, that this brings Peter, James, and John, it brings them to, to a point where they are willing to forsake all and to follow Christ. And the big idea is this this morning. Is that the authoritative power of Jesus' preaching and signs results in men coming to faith and forsaking all to follow him as a disciple. Let me say this again because we've looked at the power and the authority of Christ over the last few weeks. So, so notice the authoritative power of his preaching, his message, and the miracles result in men forsaking all. They come to faith and they forsake all that they may follow him, give their lives to him. And let me see, it is my hope this morning that as we walk through this text is that you will examine your own life. You will examine your life and you will seek after the very traits of a disciple. You will seek after the very traits of one who follows Christ today. There are four main traits that I want you to see this morning in this call of discipleship or the the traits of a disciple. The pressing desire... The unwavering obedience, the genuine belief, and the evangelistic hope. The pressing desire, the unwavering obedience, the genuine belief, and the evangelistic hope. Let's begin with this first one, the pressing desire. Look again in verse 1. He says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, listening to the word of God, now, this is very interesting because Luke tells us, he says, now it happened. Notice that phrase, now it happened. That, this means some time has passed. There's been some time since chapter 4 where, where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, where Jesus cast the demon out of the man in the synagogue and things. Remember, he, he went into the region of Galilee and he's been preaching, he's been ministering. Luke tells us that in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 43 and 44. He says, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose and... So he kept on preaching. So that's what he's been doing in this time. And so now we find him, he's back walking on the Sea of Galilee. Now there's another reference to this. Uh, we see in Matthew and Mark, they talk about the call where he says to Simon Peter, he says to James and John, he says, follow me and I'll make you catchers of men. And scholars believe that this may be two different stories, and I'm kind of leaning toward that as well. If you were to read Matthew and you read Mark's version where he calls them, he commands them to come and follow him, what you find is, is that there's some differences where Jesus is walking and they're actually fishing. But here he's teaching a crowd and Peter and him are washing their nets. So there's some differences here. Matter of fact, when you get to the end where he says that he's going to make them catchers of fish, you'll find that the command is do not fear, but, he also, but then he gives a promise. So I think that these are two different instances. And so this is the one where he, he comes, and, he, and this is where they forsake all things, and they go. They, they've kind of been doing some things with him, but this is where they just give their life over to him. But we find that he is preaching, that he is teaching along the Sea of Galilee. He's prioritizing the message of the gospel. He's affirming it with supernatural signs and wonders. And notice the results, notice the effects. Luke tells us the crowd was pressing in. Now, this word crowd would indicate a very good-sized gathering. 
It's not a multitude, but it would be probably a hundred or two, give or take. There's a large group of people who is listening to Jesus. And notice the phrase, pressing in. I find this interesting that he gives us this. The the Greek here would imply to push against. You ever been in a, a crowded elevator? A crowded room? A crowded line, and, and what are you doing? You're kind of bumping into other people. You're kind of pushing in to other people. You're touching them. You're pressing together. I, I, I remember this when we went on vacation to Disney, where we're all out there, you know, at the, at the kingdom to see the lights and the fireworks, and there's just all of these people, multitudes of people, and we're just crowded in, and they're, you know, people are rubbing up against you. This is kind of what's happening here. Jesus is preaching, Jesus is teaching, and there's these people, and they are literally pressing their physical body up against other people so that they can get close to Christ. Why? So that they may hear the Word of God. Do you remember in chapter 4? In the synagogue, they said they were amazed for his words were gracious. He preached with authority. Here we find that the people are still amazed. The word of God is being preached. His words are gracious. His words are authority. And people love to hear the teaching of the word. And so they're following him. They want to hear what he has to say. But, but this goes even far beyond of them being gracious. This goes far beyond just them having authority. Notice he says they are, they are listening to the word of God. Luke wants to indicate to us that as what Jesus is doing here is, is that he is, preaching, he is preaching the word of God directly to them. That they, it's like a prophet. A prophet is speaking. To them. The source of his message is not from traditions. It's not from commentary. It, it comes directly from heaven on high. They are pressing in because they want to hear what God has to say to the people. And what's amazing about this is that God is in the flesh standing in right there. Dear friends, may I say to you this morning that the very first trait that we must look at of a disciple is that a disciple desires to hear from God. A disciple desires to hear from God. And, and many of us, are, we want to hear God speak audibly. We want, we want to hear God tell us something new and something great. But I want you to understand that what we are talking about for us in our day, when we want to hear from God, we have been given the written Word of God. We have been given divine, special revelation known as the Bible, known as the Scriptures. And so for us today, being that we don't have Christ literally in front of us, but we have Christ's Word here that is preached on Sunday and that is literally in your hands and you take it home with you, you, that we are to be a people who press in to the written Word of God. You press in and you get close to it. And this, this is written in present imperative, meaning that it's continual. So we are a people who are continually, nonstop, never giving up, never getting tired of hearing what God has to say through His written Word. Now there are some today who would say, now preacher, be very careful. If you want to grow your church, if you want to be relevant in our day, you do not be, need to be one of those people who focuses too much on the Word, focus too much on the teaching of the Word and doctrine and theology and all those types of things. If you really want to have relevance, if you really want to be known and you want to grow, you need to, you need to be relevant with application, you need to be relevant with stories, you need to be relevant with entertainment. Let me respond with two passages of Scripture this morning of why I think this is so interesting, this pressing in on the Word. 
The first I want to give you is John chapter 10. And for those who have been in our, our men's study, we, have been, we just finished John. And for those who were in our men's study on Tuesday mornings, you may remember John chapter 10. It is the chapter on the good shepherd. Listen to what Jesus says in chapter 10, verse 7. He says, So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. In the verse 27, notice this. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Dear friends, the sheep come to the voice of the Master. They come to where the Word of God is being preached, where the Word of God is being read. Here's the, the trait of a disciple is, is that he loves the Word of God. He knows the, he knows the voice of his shepherd. He cannot stop. He cannot resist the urge to press into the Word, to, to read the Word, to know the Word, to hear the Word. It draws them in. It draws them into a relationship with him, and it keeps them. It keeps them fed. Charles Spurgeon says that a soul that knows the name of the Lord rejoices at the very mention of his name. I would even take it this far and say the soul that knows the name of the Lord rejoices at the very reading of his word. But let me give you another passage. In Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 and 5, we, we read this. Listen to what Paul writes here. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. But the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But listen to this. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. If you were to take those two passages of Scripture and you were to compare them, what you find is, is that the people of God, the sheep of God, they press into the Word. But those who are not sheep, the goats, the unbelievers... They do not press into the Word. Those who do not follow Christ, they, they press into something else. They press into myths. They press into false teachings. They press into ungodly worldviews. The unsaved press in around false teachers, and they reject the voice of the shepherd. They run to those who will tickle, tickle their ears. FBC, you must know this, that a disciple has within him or her a pressing desire to move physically to the to the to the preaching and the reading of the word of god they want to hear god speak to them i offer you this truth god will draw his people god will draw his people you and I are simply the, the, the guy in the boat who cast out the net. It is he who brings in the fish. It is he who draws the people. But he will draw his people, and the net that he uses is the Word of God. And so people will come to a church that preaches the Word of God. They will come to a church that, that promotes the reading of God's Word, that promotes the inerrancy and the sufficiency of God's Word. Why? Because they are his sheep. Or because he is drawing them in into a, a saving relationship that they may be his sheep. And so if you want to grow a church, I would tell you this morning that you start letting people know where they can find the word of God. I, you, you read the word publicly, you preach the word expositionally, but not only that, but you take the word out into your homes and you take it into your workplaces. We are a people who must be about the word but I also offer you this application that if you want to hear from God this morning, 
If you want to hear from God, if you are someone who, who is just, God, I want you to speak to me and I want you to show me, I want you to enlighten me, I want you to illuminate me, I want you to teach me that you must press around the written word of God. You must position yourself to hear what he has to say to you through his scriptures for they are alive. They are a double-edged sword that pierces through bone and marrow. And too many people want to hear God audibly even though we have his spoken written word. And it is such a joy and it is such an encouragement, so refreshing. May I encourage you this morning to read the word consistently. To hear the word preached consistently. To study the word and learn the word and memorize the word May I encourage you to read the Word in your homes. And if these are things that you're not doing consistently, then you must ask yourself why. Because a disciple, a sheep, a follower, presses in. Always pressing in. But notice, secondly, the unwavering obedience. Look, at, look what he says to us here in verse 4. He says that when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, he says, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon said, he said, Master, we worked hard all night and we caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. And we love this. He tells Simon, Peter, he says, go out into the deeper water. And you've got to take note of this, that none of this is by accident. This is, this is the providence of God, the sovereignty of God. Jesus is zeroing in on Peter. He, he's been, you know, Andrew's introduced him. They've had some other interactions. But, but this is the moment that Jesus is zero, zeroing in on Peter. And he gets in his boat. He preaches a message that he doesn't just want this crowd to hear, but he wants Peter to hear it. And then he's going to give Peter a command. So all of this is Jesus himself being a fisherman. He's not just calling you and I to be something that he's not. Jesus himself is catching and reeling in fish, and Simon is the big one. This is the one that he's, this is who he's wanting to bring in right here, Simon, James, and John. And so here we, he tells him to go out and cast out his net. Now, here's something that's very interesting about this situation, is that Peter, being a fisherman by trade, a professional, has fished all night and he's caught nothing. So obviously he's tired and he's probably very discouraged because no fish means no paycheck. Means you mean he's not going to be able to buy food. He's not going to be able to support his family. So a day of catching nothing is very discouraging for him. And so now he's washing his nets. He's getting ready to go home. He's packing everything up. The last thing he wants to do is prolong that journey home. He's tired. He's ready to go home to his wife. He's ready to go home to his family. And then Christ comes and gets in his boat. Prolonging the labor, prolonging the departure. And as he finishes his message, he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, I want you to go back out into the lake and I want you to let down your net. You can only imagine the temptations that Peter had to say no. As I'm reading through this in my own mind, I can just imagine what, what, I, what I would be thinking. First, as the professional, I'd be looking at Jesus going, you're a carpenter. Uh, you're a carpenter. You're a great rabbi. You're a great teacher. But, but I'm the professional here. I, I, I know what I'm doing. And you're, you're wanting me to go out now? The, the, this is pointless. I fished all night and I'm not going to catch anything. Just let me go home. I'm tired. I'm busy. I've got things to do at home. And this is only going to prolong my labor. You can imagine all of the, the temptations that were going through Peter's mind. But notice what he does. He obeys Christ. Why? Notice what he says in verse 5. Master. He starts out with master. 
A disciple obeys the voice of his master. He, even if he doubts, even when he's tired, even when the command that he has been given seems in vain, even when it's going to be hard, even when it's going to take all day, a disciple obeys the command. He is unwavering in his command, in his devotion to do what the master has called him to do. Beloved, disciples of Christ will obey his commands. In John chapter 14, verse 15, he tells us, if you love me, you will keep my what? You will keep your word. You will keep his commandments. But sadly, I believe many of us are like Peter. We have temptations. And like Peter, we look at Jesus and we kind of have the same type of temptations probably. Jesus, we, you're not here with us. And so this is 2022. This is, this is not Jerusalem in your day. This is not 2,000 years ago. This is 2022. Uh, the times are different. And so we see the commands of Scripture and we begin to go, well, things are different. You know, um, we, we see that, that, you know, our day is very open and tolerant and accepting of homosexuality and these other sins. We know, God, that this is what your word says, but that's Old Testament and, 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 and that's, new t- that's thousands of years ago. So why do we need to accept these commands? We, we know that we, you call us to not live in sin, but we know that sin, sexual sin, is, you know, I mean, it's way more accepted today. Abortion is way more accepted today. Women pastors. This is something that we're seeing. We, we say, well, we're, you know, we've really progressed, God. And, and, and we see that churches are far more accepting. We see our own convention is far more accepting of, of doing these things, of having female pastors. And, and, and we need to be like this. We need to really get with the times. We know the times. We, we, we're the ones experiencing this. Or maybe you think your obedience is in vain. What does it really matter that I follow God's command that marriage is between a man and a woman, that, that sex is only for a couple that is, in, that is married, or what does it matter that we fight against sins and these things? What does it matter that God calls me to be faithful to the church and to, and to love one another and to support one another? Is it going to change anything? Is it going to help anything? Or, 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 you know what, God, if I do these things, it's going to be, it's really going to prolong my labor. And I'm already busy. I'm already tired. It's going to cost me time, it's going to cost me energy, and it may even bring about persecution upon my life. Dear friends, we understand the same temptations that Peter could have faced in that very boat, but a disciple is unwavering in the midst of these temptations. Because he says, notice what Peter says, he says, Master, I will do what you say. Or maybe another translation, the ESV, Master, but at your word. How many of you this, here this morning live like that? No matter what goes on around you, no matter what you're feeling, no matter the temptations that, that you have, but you live by the word of God and what it commands. Because, dear friends, that is a disciple. That is one who truly follows Christ unwavering in the midst of temptations you obey the word you focus on what christ has commanded the commands to love god the commands to repent of your sin the commands to be faithful in service 
faithful in worship. The commands to fulfill family responsibility and fulfill the call of evangelism and the Great Commission. Ask yourself this morning, dear friend, what commandments have you wavered on? Because some of you are, are not parenting as you should. And some of you are, are not fulfilling your responsibility as the, the, the wife or as the husband in your relationships. You, you have been given a command in how you are to structure your home and how you are to interact with one another and how you are to, to, to love one another and, and function as a family. And you are neglecting, you are wavering in those commands because it's just different than the, ra- the way the rest of the world is. Some of you waver in evangelism. Some of you waver in the truth. Some of you waver in your service to the church and to one another. Beloved, if you are struggling, let me encourage you this morning that you would repent and call on the Spirit to empower you and to seek help from one another that we may pray with you and work with you and walk with you in obedience. Because we are all disciples called to obey with complete obedience, unwavering in our obedience. But notice thirdly, the genuine belief. Look at verse 6. He says, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their their nets began to break. And so they they signaled to their their partners in the other boat for them to come and to help them. And they they came and they filled the boat, both of the boats, so that they began to sink. And When Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. I love this. What we have here on display is the power of God. Peter learns of the omnipotence and the omniscience of Jesus Christ. You see, Peter thought that he knew. He, he thought as an expert that he, he knew and that if he couldn't catch anything, who is this carpenter? Who is this rabbi who can come out here and catch fish? But here he begins to learn of the power of the Son of God. He sees his omnipotence, his, that he's all-powerful, and that Christ is not only the master of Peter, but he is the master of all creation, for he himself created all things. This would include the fish this would mean that, that Christ is the master of that which is in the Sea of Galilee. And they follow His commands just like as we are to follow. And the beauty of this is that they are unwavering in their command. And so here Peter learns of his, of his omnipotence, but he also learns of his omniscience, that Jesus possesses all knowledge. He's all-knowing. This is His creation. He sustains it, and he not only commands the fish, but he knows where they are at all times. So, so when Peter lets down his net, and he catches this miraculous, impossible amount of fish, he knows this is no accident. He knows that this is not luck. Because notice how he addresses Jesus. Notice what he says. He now says, not master, but what? Lord, his response is one of fear and penance. He says, Lord, get away from me, for I am a sinful man. This response of fear and, 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 and brokenness and, and unworthiness is something that we have seen from the very beginning throughout the Old Testament where men would come into the presence of a holy, almighty God This is exactly what we saw with Isaiah who sees God in all of his glory there in the temple and he falls down and he says, I am a man of unclean lips. 
Peter here begins to realize that you are not just a master. You're not just a rabbi. You're not just a carpenter. You are something greater. You, there is divinity here. There is power here. You are God. And when a person is in the presence of God, he cannot help but notice his own unworthiness. When you are in the presence of God, you, you recognize the holiness of God and you recognize your, your sinfulness, your, your unrighteousness. Do you remember chapter 4 of the demon? What do we have to do with you, Jesus? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Just like the demon recognizes, Peter recognizes his unworthiness in the presence of Christ, a recognition of divine power and knowledge, and it results in this declaration of brokenness and worship. Notice verse 9. He says, For amazement had seized him. Do you remember Nazareth? In chapter 4 in Capernaum, they were amazed, weren't they? He has gracious words. He preaches with authority, but we saw nothing of anyone truly following him. But Luke now makes a comparison between chapter 4, those who were simply amazed, and Peter, James, and John, who are seized with amazement and believe upon him. Peter falls down on his knees, and he begins to proclaim how sinful he is and how holy and great God is. And then leaves behind everything that he may follow. Dear friends, I say to you this morning that disciples are not simply amazed at Jesus. They recognize and they believe the truth that Christ is not just a teacher. He's not just a healer. He's not just a social justice hero. He is God in the flesh. Omnipotent and omniscient. And he is holy. And a disciple understands this truth. Never forgetting who God is, and who they are. Dear friend, are you a disciple this morning? Do you have genuine belief that Christ is the Son of God and that you are a sinner? That apart from His salvation, you will remain in your sin and face the judgment of God? Do you have genuine belief that Christ was perfect in every way and you are imperfect and unrighteous in every way and that Christ died for your sins and gave his life for you that he rose on the third day and unless you a person has come to repentance and turned from your sins and believed upon him you will never be saved if you do not believe this you cannot be a disciple you are not a disciple and if you are not a disciple this morning, hear me. He calls you today to be saved. He calls you to forsake all things. He calls you to follow him. How? By embracing the very thing that Peter embraced. By embracing the very message that Christ has been preaching. That he has come to save you from your sins. Trust in him and turn from your sins. Believe upon Christ. And know that you are surrounded by a people this morning who would love nothing more than to walk with you and talk with you and pray with you and to help you to understand the gospel and find and, and come to know salvation. We call upon you this morning that not to leave this place today without knowing the love and the saving work of Christ. But I also must offer this warning to those who, of us who would call ourselves disciples that we are not to simply live in amazement of Christ because amazement will only leave you fishing 
Amazement will only leave you just in the synagogue and just maybe attending church some. Amazement will, will only make you a religious participant, a spectator, an admirer of Christ. Your amazement of Christ must lead you and it must push you to do something more. It must show you your, your brokenness, your understanding of the greatness of God and the, and the sinfulness of yourself. It must move you to be able to forsake all things and to become a worshiper and to become obedient to become one who loves the Word, to have a deep appreciation for Christ saving and cleansing you from your sins that leads you to doing the very thing that we're doing this morning, to gather and to sing. It would lead you to never forget and always walk in humility. Oh, beloved, I pray that your relationship, that your Christianity is not simply amazement, but it is genuine belief in Christ and in, your, and in, the, your, in what he has done to save you and cleanse you from your sinfulness. But notice the next one. Notice verse 10, the evangelistic hope this morning. It says, so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, he says, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. And, and I love this. He says, do not fear. Now, this is interesting. You pay, pay attention. We have to be very careful that we don't get this. Uh, again, there's some differences and distinctions. This is why I think there probably was two different instances here from Matthew and Mark. Notice here the command is, do not fear. Why does he give this command? Obviously, he is calling Peter to forsake all things. Obviously, you know, we, we saw that. We, we see this. Matthew and Mark, where he tells them to follow me, we, we've been seeing the message. It, it, P, Peter is being drawn into this. But I honestly think that what Peter is afraid of is his own sinfulness and brokenness. This idea that, get away from me. And how amazing is it that, Peter, that Jesus doesn't get away from him, but instead he cleanses him, he forgives him, he restores him, he uses him. The command to Peter is, do not fear. But notice what he says after that. He says, from now on, you will be catching men. Now notice, notice here in the second part, that, that word catching, it means to be catch alive. The idea is to bring under control. Where a fisherman may catch that he may kill and eat, a disciple catches that he may rescue from danger. He's telling Peter, he says, you're going to help me. You're going to help catch that you may release, that you may set free. Set free from what? The danger of sin and death. The danger of Satan. Satan, The danger of God's wrath that is going to come on unbelievers. Jesus is telling Peter that just like this net is full of fish, Peter will be a net that God uses to bring many to salvation. Dear friends, this is an evangelistic promise. This is an evangelistic hope of Peter. And God kept his promise. In Acts chapter 2, do you remember the story? That after the ascension, in the day of Pentecost, after the Spirit comes down and they begin to, to speak in the languages of other men and everybody thinks they're all drunk and everything, and Peter begins to preach. And Peter says, don't think that people have been drinking. He says, something else is going on. And he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice, we don't have time to see the, the very end of this, but I want you to notice what he says in verse 37. N notice what he says. He says, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. After Peter had preached, they were pierced to the heart. And Peter and the rest of uh, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, he says, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord your God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And so then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added, don't miss this, three thousand souls this is the promise being fulfilled that the promise that jesus is making to peter on the sea of galilee he says peter do you see how big how miraculous how just impossible of a catch this is he says peter i'm going to do the same thing with you but it's going to be with men to set them free and there on the day of pentecost peter throws out the net He could have had the same temptations. He could have said, they killed killed you. If I do this, I may die. He he could have said, it's it's going to be pointless. He could say, this is not the time, this is not the place. But he stands before the people there on the day of Pentecost, and he preaches the gospel, throwing out the net. And Christ is faithful to his promise that he brings in 3,000. He doesn't just stop there. He continues to bring in, even to this day, more and more and more. Beloved, hear me. Evangelism can be very discouraging. You can pray and you can labor only to come home empty-handed. You can get tired and you can get busy with other things. And you can, you can become pragmatic and you may blow up for a moment only for everyone to walk away and then just really go, well, there's just really no hope is there. Or we can look at the culture that is around us and say that this culture culture. It's just an anti-God culture. They're immoral. They don't want to hear from us. They don't care about any of that. What is the point of evangelizing? Because no one's going to get saved in the first place. What keeps us going as disciples when we're tired? What keeps us going when the world seems wicked? The same promise, the same hope that Peter is given right here. And we see this in Romans chapter 8, do we not? Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We see, he says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good of those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. So that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he has also called. And these whom he has called, he has justified. And these whom he has justified, he has also glorified. He is making a promise that if we preach the gospel, men and women will be saved. And how do we know this? And how, do we, how can we do this? How will they be saved? Romans chapter 10, listen to this. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. He says, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in them who they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? In verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. A disciple is one who has the promise and has the hope that if I keep preaching, somebody's going to get saved. If I keep reading the Word of God, and I keep sharing the Gospel, and I keep going out there, no matter how antagonistic they are, and no matter how tired I am, God has promised, God has promised me someone is getting saved. 
Dear friends, have you given up? Did you give up on your family member who is not saved yet? Have you given up on your neighbor? Have you given up on the rest of the world? Have you given up on those who were once here but who have now left and have not returned? You as a disciple must hold to the hope and the promise that has been given not only to Peter but to us as well. That no matter what, we proclaim the gospel as disciples and Christ has said he'll fill the net and you may preach and you may you may proclaim and you may share and you may evangelize and it may not be three thousand it may only be one today and one a year from now or or whatever but dear friends we go fishing every day i say to you this morning do not grow weary as a disciple but go and tell people about christ Tell your family and tell your neighbors and tell your co-workers. Tell the members who have stopped coming that you are worried about. Go and tell those who are against us, who are antagonistic against us. Embrace the promise that if we preach, if you evangelize, someone's getting saved. Amen? That is a character of a disciple. If you would bow with me as a time of invitation and prayer.